Good morning. Right, let's just pray. Let's just invite the Holy Spirit. It's just so good, isn't it, just to worship God, to experience His presence. Yeah, Father, I just want to thank you for all the incredible truth we've been singing about, that you are a faithful God, that your promises are always yes and amen in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one we can trust. You are our rock. And I just worship you this morning. I pray, let our hearts hear the voice of their Father this morning. As we get into your word, I pray that, as Rob's prayed, there'll be individual words for each one of us this morning. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. So good to see you all. It's one of those Sundays where half the church is away. We are so glad you're here. It's wonderful to worship with you. Uh, We're going to be starting a new series called Counterculture. And uh, really, we're going to be spending time from now right up until the Easter break. Easter break? Summer break. We've had Easter break, haven't we? Right up until the summer holidays, looking at the different cultural challenges that we face all around us, all the time. We're going to be looking at issues of identity. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Thank you, Rob, for kind of priming us with that. Because identity is so vital that we know who we are in Christ. We're going to be looking at issues of fatherlessness. You know, we see the current crime rate, knife, violent crime rate in London, particularly with uh, knife crime, just accelerating. One of the key things they've said is there's just a lack of good role models of fathers in our culture. We're going to look at poverty. We're going to look at immigration, this sense of nationalism, you know, building walls and barriers rather than building bridges between people. We're going to look into that. We're going to look into faith and science. Look at these big issues. Really, my, my, my hope is that we will see how the gospel of Jesus Christ can speak into any and every situation that we face today. You know, that we can be those who speak this grace and this truth that we've been singing about, that we can speak it into our own spheres of influence as we go about our week. You know, we know full well, particularly with recent events, particularly with the passing of Rachel, what we've been going through as a church, that this world is not as it should be. Last week, we looked at Romans 8, didn't we? We saw how this world is groaning, waiting in anticipation for the coming of Jesus Christ, for his glory to be fully revealed in this world. And yet it's into this very hurting world that you and I have been sent. We are a people who have been sent by Jesus. We, so we looked at the Great Commission a few weeks ago. And as Jesus prayed in John 17, he said this, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So important we understand that, that we are sent into the world, but we're different. 1 Peter 2 describes us as sojourners, travelers, just passing through, aliens, strangers, because we've got a new home. We're citizens of heaven. We're new creations in Christ. And so while Jesus calls us to be very much sent into the world, 
We're a people who have a commission. We're a people who, who have a, this commission to win people to Christ. And ultimately to see the, the redemption of this world through Jesus Christ. This is our mission. We are also called to be different. It's that in the world but not of it. It's often described, isn't it? And it's really important we understand that. And, and there is a tension there, isn't there? I think all of us can experience that tension or have experienced that tension of being in the world, different, set apart, and not of it. I think there can be a tension to simply disconnect from the conversation. You know, particularly as our culture drifts further and further away from what we would describe as traditional Christian values, that difference between us and the world becomes increasingly marked. And there can be a temptation just to simply disconnect from the conversation, often out of fear. Because our culture has shifted to a point where, where basically right and wrong are measured by popular opinion rather than timeless truths and often that popular view is dictated by the press and so often people are being shaped into what they truly believe without even knowing it it's like what, what are people thinking now oh okay that's what I'll think it's like this is where popular opinion is now therefore get with it and this is where we're at as a culture being shaped without much awareness of it we've seen that this week haven't we just this last week with the whole uh, abortion um, vote in Ireland. We see it with uh, the definition of marriage. We see it in gender roles. We see it uh, in, in the whole thing of freedom of speech or discrimination. There's this whole, it can feel like a minefield, can't it, at times. But simply disconnecting from the conversation will make us ineffective and not a people of influence that we've been called to be. We've been called to make a difference. We've been called to be salt, haven't we? Salt has to get mixed in for it to have any impact. Salt preserves. It stops the rot. It gives taste and flavor to life itself. We, we need to be salt. We need to be in the world. But as Jesus said, salt can lose its saltiness. And the flip side of this tension of being in the world but not of it is that we can become absorbed, assimilated by our culture. We can lose that distinctiveness. We can look at what we profess and we can look at our lives and think, actually, there is no real difference, really, if I'm honest about it. It's when we get more shaped by the messages of this world than by the message of the gospel. It's when we get our identity more from our social media feeds than from what Christ says we are. We, we, our ambition and our goals get, get shaped more by society and expectations of success and what our peers are doing rather than what God has planned for us. There's a tension there. In the message, it puts Romans 12, 2 like this. It says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking about it. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. So really the challenge for us is to engage with our culture in a godly, 
kingdom-influencing way. A way that brings truth, a way that brings hope, a way that brings light, and, and not simply railing against what we disapprove of. Because I think so often that is the default, isn't it? I think so often the world sees the church as simply known for what it is against, known for what it hates, rather than what it's for. It's a challenge there for us. And yes, while we need to speak out against injustice, we need to stand up against corruption, we need to speak out against wrong, we also need to speak up about the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, about the love and the forgiveness and acceptance that we can know. We need to speak up about that. So I think that's why Bishop Michael Curry's uh, address at the royal wedding hit so many people so deeply. It impacted so many people because here was a message, obviously, about love, the redemptive power of love. It was a message of hope. And it was a message delivered by someone who actually believed what he was talking about and had actually experienced it himself. You could see it. And before you shoot me down, I know he didn't preach the whole gospel. I know he didn't pre preach the need for repentance, that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. I know that. He had seven minutes. <laughs> he took 13. But you know what gives me hope is that in front of, I don't know, 50 million plus people, probably more as people watch it on Catch Up, he declared that the source of all the love itself is God. And he declared in front of all these people, because of that love, Jesus Christ died to save us all. You know what? That is a, that seed to the gospel right there, isn't it? in front of millions and millions of people, seeds of truth. And it impacted people so profoundly, didn't it? I, I think it's kind of sad, though, that so many people thought, what an unconventional message. I mean, part of that was because perhaps it was unconventional in its delivery in that setting. But I think a lot of people were like, this is amazing. What, what an unconventional message. And I loved what Justin Welby said in response to that. I don't know if you caught it, when he was being interviewed, uh, he, he just said, Christianity is unconventional. Our message of hope and love is totally unconventional. This good news is the balm for our hurting world. And yet so often it's a message that is preached week by week in so many churches up and down the country. But too often that's a message doesn't go beyond the church walls. What does go beyond the church walls too often is just what we rail against. And yet, we have this wonderful message. A message of truth, a message of grace, a message of love. And so really my prayers are, this is just an introduction to the, to the whole series really. My, my prayers for this series really are that if you feel disengaged from the conversation, or if you look at your life and think, actually, there's not a lot of distinctiveness about my life. My prayer is that you'll really feel empowered by the Holy Spirit to re-engage with the conversation. Re-engage with that call to be salt and light. That actually you have been given the authority. You have been given a voice to speak out to speak truth into a confused world, to bring hope into despair, light into the darkness, to be this balm 
That's what the message we carry is. You know, what makes us different is the Spirit of God in us. That is our distinctiveness. It was the same in the Old Testament. The people of God, remember Moses said, you have to go with us, God, otherwise we're not moving out of here. What will make us different from the rest of the nations? It's the presence of God. And it's the same today. What makes us different is the Spirit of God living in us. That is our distinction. We are jars of clay, very ordinary, very broken. And yet we have this treasure within. This treasure within. Treasure that heals, brings wholeness, brings hope. Treasure that this broken world so needs to hear. And what we need to hear first and foremost, which is why we're starting with this first, is who we are in Christ. We need to know for certain our security, our acceptance, this authority that we have, that we are loved and chosen. We need to know it for ourselves. And then we'll speak out of a heart of authenticity, a heart that is fully persuaded in the good news of this gospel. Handing over to Claire. Can you hear me? Yeah. Um, I have to be totally honest with you and actually say I feel like uh, treasure in a broken vessel this morning. In the worship, I came over all faint and I felt sick. I had to sit down. And I have been absolutely bombarded in my mind, which has made me even more convinced that I'm supposed to bring this message today. Um, I have never experienced that before, but I spent the whole of the worship time battling things that were being dropped into my head, which were not pretty, and which made me feel very battle-weary. So bear with me, um, but I am absolutely convinced by what I'm going to say this morning. So there should be a slide coming up that... um, There we go, thank you. Um, I'm just going to read out a few of those. Child of God accepted, justified, safe, protected, dearly loved, hidden with Christ, precious and valued. Now we sang some incredible songs this morning um, and when that first song came up, I thought, well, I could just stand up here and say, let's sing that song again, and that'll be it, because actually that had the crux of my message within it. And Rob has already brought a word from God, which actually I've got at the end of what I'm bringing this morning, because I really felt that when I was praying for today, that God wants to speak individual things over each one of us. And actually, we can sing songs about these things, but how often do we actually spend time really meditating on who we are in Christ? It can be really encouraging just to sit underneath them and soak them in. But we don't often do that, do we? Why is that? It's a very un-British thing to boast about who we are. But actually we need to learn how to embed each one of these truths deep in our hearts so that they are the messages that we hear every single day. They are the things that we cling to in the midst of our struggles. But it isn't easy for us to get to that place, is it? And why is that? And as I've experienced myself this morning, I actually really believe that identity is one of those key places that the devil likes to attack. Because he knows how vital it is. And he also knows what a huge impact it has on the people of God when we know who we truly are. And that's why we need to come back to this subject again and again. And that's why we're not apologising for the fact that we've had preachers on identity very recently 
and in most years because it's such an important subject that we need to come back to time and time again. We can take this for granted, but we so shouldn't. And I have to be honest with you and say, if I, when I was faced with a list like that years ago and, and was told to meditate on it, was told to read it out, my response was that that's just brainwashing. It really meant nothing to me. And that's partly because I never let it go from here to here. I never let it leave my brain and reach my heart. And I was cynical and unbelieving about how um, meditating on who I am in Christ could actually affect me. And that's partly because I couldn't accept that God was saying those things about me. And I couldn't accept that reading them and really letting them go deep down would actually change me. And I've realized that over the years that some of my reticence with that will have been my upbringing. Um, growing up in a home where uh, one parent is a Christian and one isn't meant that there was a lot of skulking about to talk about things of God. We didn't talk about them openly. Um, and so I was used to not doing that. Uh, and I also have been recognizing the influences that I had from my peers over the years. We were part of an amazing youth group, but I also had a secondary school where they were very difficult years, and people within that influenced me. But it was at my lowest point, which I know we've spoken about before, when I realized that my life was in tatters, and I went to God and I asked him to help me rebuild it. And that was the point. that Instead of condemning me, instead of judging me, Instead of telling me all the stupid mistakes that I'd made and what I needed to do now, God started speaking some of these things over me. He started sharing with me how much he loved me. And some of those um, things that were on that first slide are the very words that he spoke over me. He took the time to pour back into me and remind me of who I am in him. And that's when it got to my heart. And that's where it stayed Although I have to be honest and say, I don't always walk out of my identity in Christ. I don't always remember it, and I don't always embrace it. What about you? If I were to ask you what your sense of identity is based upon, what would your answer be? Do you feel that scripture is your go-to place to find out the answer about who you are? Or are there other messages that talk louder in your life? that have much more of an influence over you. And I think it's really important that we take stock every so often, because it can be so easy to slide into um, unhelpful patterns of behavior that actually might be blocking out God's message about who we are. And Steve's already said it, we can also be unaware of influences upon us. And then we wonder why we get a block when we're trying to really fully embrace these truths about who God says we are. Because we live within our culture daily, and because we grew up in the family that we did, all of those things just seem natural to us. And so we just seem to take on board the messages that come without even really thinking about them. So I want us to do that today. I want us to have a look at two areas, upbringing and culture, uh, because I would suggest that they actually have a huge impact on our sense of self. Because each one of us is given messages about who we are and who we should be from our main caregivers, whether that's our parents or other adults, as soon as we're born. And that's where we get our sense of belonging. That's why God has put us into families, because we get that sense of security and significance. We get those family attachments. That's also part of the reason 
why he draws us into church families, that we can have that sense of belonging. But actually, that's also, in our families, is also the first place that we get negative messages too. Perhaps you were told as a child that you need to be seen and not heard. I know that's quite a generational thing, but maybe that's something that you heard. Or boys don't cry. Or you need to just toughen up because the world is a hard place. And you will have internalized each of those messages and they'll have had an impact on you as you were growing and maturing into adulthood without you even realizing it. Perhaps you were always compared to a sibling and it seemed that you always fell short. And that might have fueled a sense of worthlessness in you. It might also have kick-started an endless cycle of always feeling like you need to prove yourself. How far removed are those things from the message that we've already heard from God this morning of how loved and how accepted and how precious we are exactly as we are? And even for people who've had good upbringings, there will be elements from our childhood that will have negatively impacted us. Because no human parent is perfect, are they? Sorry, Emily, we're not perfect. Um, maybe your parents simply didn't have the time that you were longing to spend with them. They might have been doing positive things. They might have felt that they were doing things that God told them to do. And yet, it left you feeling alone. And that's actually one of the reasons why I'm particularly protective of our family time. Because I want our kids to realize that we're not leading a work of God without them. We are on mission together, and they are a vital part of it. And they need to know that they are loved and valued members of our team, and that we will listen to them if they think we get too busy, if they think we haven't got time for them. Now, of course, there is a balance to be, to be met there, because we know that kids want us all the time, and it's important to teach them that we are on mission together, that there is a job that God has called us to do. But they need to know that we're around for them. Now, I just want to talk to the men for a minute because I know I'm a woman standing up here talking about identity. And I know that this subject can sometimes be viewed as a little bit feminine. And I think that's pretty stereotypical. But I also think there's part truth in that because of who you have been told that you have to be. You have to be the strong one. The one who isn't emotional. The one who doesn't wear his heart on his sleeve because that's seen as weak. And for those of you who were told things in your childhood that you needed to be a certain way, those messages will already be inside your head. And psychologists talk about something called the inner critical voice. It's that voice inside of our head that speaks louder than anything else that actually is harshest to, um, to us as well. It's trying to force us to conform to an image of who it thinks we should be. And that is a learned image from all those different messages that we've had from outside. Our inner critical voice will have picked up on those messages and be speaking them, feeding them to us. So it's really important that we begin to recognize those thoughts and capture them. And also recognize and capture the lies from the enemy as well. In order that we can renew our minds to embrace and reflect who God made us to, to be. Um, I really love this next quote. It says, The devil knows your name, but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. As I said, I've had direct personal experience of that. That God could have called out my sin, 
but he chose to call me by name and show me how accepted and loved I am. So you can reject those negative messages that are spoken over you. Steve has already referred to Romans 12 too, because the Bible tells us to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And 2 Corinthians 10 says to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And that obviously involves some action on our part, which was something that I was doing like mad this morning, that actually God expects us to fight for our our identity. The devil is trying to pull us back and trying to take it away, and we need to fight to keep hold of it. We need to fight against all those things that are being popped into our minds. And that's actually a really important action to do against the subtle and not-so-subtle messages that are being fed into our minds by our culture as well. For example, culture holds up the young and the beautiful as the ideal, doesn't it? There are advertisements everywhere urging us to spend thousands of pounds to cover up those parts of us that don't measure up, to cover over the effects of ageing. And actually, a few years ago, um, I was madly putting on some makeup before going on the school run, and Ben just came sidling up to me and just said, Mum, why do you wear makeup? And it just stopped me in my tracks because I instantly recognised I have this desire to cover over those effects of ageing, and that's why I wear it. I also know that I've put on weight since passing 40, Um, And that's affected my self-esteem. I don't want to be one of those mums that wanders around asking all the time, does my bum look big in this? Mainly because I know Ben would tell me that it does. And probably Steve. (laughs) But why is that? Why Why do we let that message of that we have to be young and beautiful and cover up anything that doesn't measure up to that? And I've been really conscious as Emily has got older that I don't want to put over the messages of the struggles that I've had with my identity into her. And so we've had conversations where I've said, I know that I can be influenced in this way, and I know that it's unhelpful, and I also know that it's unnecessary. And I've told her that I try and take those feelings when I recognise them and take them to God and ask him to remind me that I'm loved and accepted for who I am. It's not about not caring about what I look like or look after my body, because our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. But my identity does not have to be wrapped up in how I look. Our culture is so wrapped up in that, and it can be a distraction, and it can make us feel worthless. And so I am choosing to walk free of that, and sometimes it's a battle. But I want Emily to be able to embrace her God-given identity quicker than I did, and so I'm trying to be honest about these messages. But we also receive messages about other aspects of our life too, like workplace culture can demand that we put in so many hours that we have very little time left for rest. That doesn't help us get that work-life balance right, does it? And in such an unhealthy and comparison-driven culture, it can be really hard not to let that striving syndrome rub off on us, both inside and outside of church too. But that can cause us to wrap up our sense of identity in what we do. And if, or I would like to say when, because I think it is a when, our role changes, our whole sense of identity can come crashing down. And I know that a lot of you um, know that recently I was given the opportunity to become Premier Christianity Magazine's freelance journalist. Um, That started last October, 
And it was just over Christmas time, so I was just beginning to feel like I was really knowing what the role was, I was really enjoying it. And then suddenly, things changed within the in-house team, and all of a sudden, the freelance role no longer existed. And that completely rocked my sense of self. I totally understood why, um, but I completely struggled. And I had to ask myself the hard question, am I yearning after the title and the security found in that role? And it was a real time of heart examination for me. Um, because while I absolutely loved it, and while it opened up many other opportunities for me, now I've been out of that job for about a month, I can really see God's timing and his wisdom in stopping that when he did. Because I had six months of working at an absolutely ridiculous rate. That was supposed to be a three days a week job, which kept encroaching four or five days and beyond. I was also doing other work and promoting my book and doing speaking engagements. There was just no time left and I was absolutely exhausted. So my first few weeks, I enjoyed the sunshine. And after taking the kids to school, I sat in the sunshine and did some devotionals and it was just so good for my soul. But also working at such a ridiculous pace also hadn't given me time to process all the difficult things that are going on in my family right now. And obviously also what was happening with the waters and with Rachel. And I know I'm going to be forever grateful to God for stopping that job in time that it meant I could go and visit Simon and Rachel with Steve during the daytime when the kids weren't around for most weeks leading up to when she died. And I have got such precious memories now that I wouldn't have had otherwise. But that whole experience made me realize that there are times when I do still cling to a particular role or a particular label in order to find my sense of purpose and identity. But God has got such a different message for us. And I just want to dig a little bit deeper now into the countercultural aspect of our identity in Christ. Because we've looked, I mean, the whole of the morning has been about affirming God's message about our identity. But actually, it is also incredibly countercultural. And that's fundamentally because he's asking us to base our sense of self on somebody else, on the person of Jesus Christ. And some of the things that Jesus said himself about who we are are actually pretty challenging. Yes, we're co-heirs with him. Yes, we have an incredible inheritance to look forward to. But we're also his hands and feet on this earth. And so we need to take seriously what he says about our identity. For example, in Matthew 10, it says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Our culture tells us that we need to be out for ourselves. We need to push ourselves forward. It's all about us. But Jesus taught that we are to lose ourselves in order to find ourselves. How countercultural is that? While our culture tells us that we need to promote ourselves, Jesus tells us that we need to be humble, that we need to acknowledge our absolute desperate need of him. We are to have the same kind of attitude that the Reverend Augustus, I think it's Toplady, it's spelt Top Lady, which always makes me chuckle. Anyway, this guy wrote the hymn Rock of Ages. And here are just a few of the words. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, 
helpless, look to thee for grace. It's about acknowledging that we are nothing without him. And that can really rub against our selfish nature. It can rub against our eye-centered culture. And many of Jesus' commands about how we are to live from the base of knowing who we are in him are countercultural too. He talks a lot about the fact that we need to be servants. In Mark 10, he says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And right the way through the New Testament, there are just so many one-anothering verses, aren't there? That we are to love one another. We are to lay down our lives for one another. And sacrifice is to be a really big part of our identity as individuals, but also our identity as a corporate body of Christ too. Because Jesus said that it's our unity that will show the world him, that will uh, just reveal him to those around us. In John 17, it says, he was praying to his father about us. It says, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And Paul takes up this uh, call for us to humbly serve one another in Philippians 2 as well. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And it goes on to talk about the fact he didn't grasp equality with God, but he became nothing and took the form of a servant and was obedient, obedient to death on a cross. And the verse I read out earlier about us taking up our cross, there's a sense of our identity is about um, a call to suffering as well. And actually, that is definitely something that culture avoids at all costs, isn't it? And yet, Scripture tells us that actually suffering is a way for us to become more like Christ. It's a way for us to embrace our identity in him. Romans 5, 3 to 4 says, We know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character, hope. So while our culture might tell us to run from suffering as fast as we can, actually the Bible teaches us that ultimately suffering produces hope, which is incredible, isn't it? We don't understand suffering, but we do know God uses it for his purposes. So as we start this new series on being countercultural, let's be aware of the influences over our identity, just to be, ask God to help us be a little bit more self-aware of those things that do affect us. Let's ask him to help us to accept that truth about who he says we are. And let's also seek to embrace those countercultural aspects of our identity in him. While some of the latter can be a bit of a challenge because it is so countercultural, we don't do it by ourselves. God has given us the Holy Spirit, but he's also given us each other. And those are actually two amazing gifts that reveal his great love for his children. Um, I just want to read out one of the scriptures that I I referenced on that first slide. Um, 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So our identity 
and all our actions should stem from that place of utter security of knowing that we are accepted and loved by a perfect Heavenly Father. As I say, when I was praying about this morning, I just really felt that actually, for some people, the idea of being loved by a father is difficult. Um, and God, God wants to reach that tender place in your heart this morning and give you a revelation about why your human father may not have been perfect, may have hurt you. God is that perfect heavenly father who can come and wipe away every tear. I also feel for some of you, you will recognize that striving. You will recognize that sense of always having to prove yourself. And God's saying, you just, it's time to stop. Just come and surrender to me and just accept my love and my grace and my mercy over you. And I do really believe that actually God has something specific, which he may have already told you, because I know Rob has already prayed about this, something specific that he wants to say to you about who you are and how he views you. It may have come out in the worship. It may have come out as I've been speaking. But if you haven't felt that, ask God as we come back to worship now to just give you such a personal sense of how much he loves you and cares for you. So let's just come back. I'd just love us to go into worship. Just as we worship, just picture the fact that you are in his tender, loving arms, that he is speaking to you and he knows exactly what you need right now.